You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. So today our guest is Chris, and he's worth $3.6 million. And the way he made his money is he started a couple software companies. His first one didn't pan out exactly how he thought. And so he went back to work and worked on the side and built up his, his second software company and ended up selling that for $3 million. And that was software he sold business to business, you know, high-end software for about $20,000 a seat. And so he's got a lot of, you know, interesting pieces of information about how that company got started and his process and journey along the way. Another thing that stood out to us that's interesting in this interview is after he sold that business, he started doing some some investing in the markets and said, okay, I don't really know what to do. I haven't quite done this before. And so he... He split up his his money into three buckets, and those buckets were stocks that he picked or researched or heard about on TV. Second, mutual funds that he picked and heard about or read articles about. And third, money to fidelity that they picked. And so he did this for about three years and then realized, hey, my investments and my choices are outperforming fidelities, and I don't need fidelities anymore. So it's super interesting when he talks about that and talks about how he got interested and started investing because prior to this little three-year experience or experiment, he didn't have that much experience. Yeah, and another thing with this interview too that I think is going to be super, super awesome for for all you listeners is, you know, Chris kind of got into the software world and kind of really shows how if you work really, really hard at something and, and have an exit that you kind of have a lot of choices after. And he's at a point in his life where he's he's – you know, can do pretty much anything he wants whenever he wants and is really starting to get involved in some other civic and some other, um, you know, volunteer opportunities that have afforded him, you know, that, that the millionaire status has afforded him in his life. So, and, uh, now we'll go to the interview. Awesome. Well, today on Millionaires in Ville, we've got Chris from the East Coast. Chris, do you want to just give us kind of a little background of, of your story and, and kind of what you're doing now? Uh, yeah, well, I uh, my path to, uh, to millions was through software. Uh, I went to college for software engineering, and I always had this idea that I would, I would make, uh, make software and sell it. And uh, my, first, uh, my first attempt uh, didn't work. My second one... I sold for um, for about three million to a much larger company. That was my whole goal. Um, and, and my path was was kind of because it takes money to to make money. My idea was I would get employed at a nice job, software engineering job, live frugally, and just save all that money while working on the software on the side. And that took my first attempt took about four years of that. No, no, six years. And then I quit. I had money saved up to, to finance. Uh, well, back then, this was the mid-90s, uh, software sold you know, physically in a physical box. It, you couldn't download it. So you had to invest into uh, the box material and, and, I, and all of the, uh, the manual and getting CDs pressed and, and advertising, traditional advertising in magazines. 
So that took that took a lot of money, uh, relatively. I think about sixty thousand. And uh, I sat back, wait, waited for the orders to come in. They just kind of trickled in. It looked like it wasn't going to happen. So I went back to work, now in debt, about thirty grand, and uh, got a got a new idea. We you know, worked for about uh, four more years until I got another idea for uh, for business to business software rather than uh, you know consumer apps, and that's the one that worked. Awesome. So, what is your current net worth? Um, well, you know, the I calculated it, but three point six million. So I, I sold the company for three million, and uh, that that was right after the uh, the crash, the market crash of '08. And uh, I had, had to pay taxes out of that. I, I got some good accountants to structure the deal, and this is important if you're ever going to sell a company. You can either end up paying you know, 40% rates or 35% rates, or if you structure it right, you can, uh, you can just do it as capital gains, which is how these, um, these accounts, I'm, I'm glad I did pay for that, for that, for them to look at that. Uh, so, but I did get a tax bill. Yeah. And then, uh, I, I put a chunk of it with the financial professionals with fidelity wealth management. And then I, I kept a bucket for myself just to see how I do compared to them. Uh, with, with just individual stocks. And then a third bucket was just some uh, mutual funds I picked out myself. Uh, and it turns out because of Fidelity's fees, they also Fidelity put me in about 40 high fee mutual funds. Uh, and between those fees and then their fee, which is I think about 1% or 1.5%, depending on your balance, they underperformed both my own stocks and mutual funds. So I thought I don't need them. And so starting about four years ago, I've been transferring over their mutual funds, which all have capital gains into uh, just plain index funds. Awesome. And then I, then I have a big chunk uh, in real estate. So also in 08, everybody was saying, well, all the analysts were saying, well, this could be a 15 year recession. We may never climb out of it. This could be like Japan. So I, I put about 40% into real estate, uh, just kind of as a hedge against the market continuing to fall, which it didn't. So I could have made more, but uh, it, it, it's turned out. Awesome. So, uh, so let, me, let me ask you, you're working a full-time job and, and you start your own thing on the side. How did you, how'd you find time to do that? Or, or was your motivation, it was obviously to grow the company, you know, but what do you say to people that you work full-time and say, hey, I don't have any time or I'm too tired or, or you know, how were you able to do that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Well, my first, uh, I mean, right out of college, uh, I wasn't married. You, know, you got all that energy. Uh, I was just in a, I was in a government job. So it was just straight eight hours. Uh, and so, you know, I could stay up until 3am coding and then go into work at seven and feel fine. Uh, and that's kind of what I did. I, ju I just stayed up late. My second attempt, uh, I was older now and it's, it, it is hard. Uh, I mean, it took me took uh, those five years one yeah five years probably putting in five hours a week on average um which would which would kind of come in bursts there'd be like a three-month period where i'm just too exhausted i got too much going on and then i'd have you know a week where i'd put in 20 hours and mm -hmm. then i'd get exhausted again so it was kind of uneven and i also didn't finish the software it was a it was basically just a prototype that you know, it took me five five years off and on to create, 
And then for my first sale, this is big ticket software. So it's like $20,000 a seat and they'd buy, they, they buy typically 10 seats. So like, you know, 200 grand. Uh, so my first sale, I, I showed them the prototype. I said, this will take, you know, eight months to deliver and they were fine with it. So in those eight months, I just, uh, worked, worked like crazy and, uh, delivered, you know, my first version. Oh yeah. And th those eight months, that's when I quit. Uh, I quit my full-time job so I could do that full-time and they had made a down payment, uh, like 40,000. So that, that kind of financed me to get that first version out. And once I had that, I could continue full-time. So, so when you got that first 40,000, that's kind of when you said, all right, I'm done working for somebody else. I'm going to start doing my own thing. I've got this kind of, this, yeah, well, well there's, a, you know, there's always a chance that I, you know, software estimation is tough. I, I could have gotten eight months and it wasn't finished and they wouldn't pay the rest and they say, forget it. I always had that risk. Uh, sure. my, my thinking was, well, if that happens, I'll go back to work. I mean, what's the, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, 40 grand would, would pay for basic expenses. And so it's not like I dip into savings that much. So, uh, so, so yeah, that, um, that worked out. Uh, plus I had been saving all that time. So I did have a cushion in case, you know, it took 12 months or 16 months and they still wanted, uh, me to continue. So it's just about mitigating your risk. Right. And when you were saving during that time, was that investing or just saving cash for the business or how did you <clears throat> diversify that? Yeah, that was, um, it was all cash. Well, I mean, I put it in a savings account. I think I had it in CDs. So this was uh, late 90s. Uh, then there was a, a crash in, oh, in 2000. Um, so, yeah, it's probably okay keeping it in cash. But, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a very smart investor back then. So I got a, I got a question. Let's just rewind here just a little bit. When you're, I mean, are you one of those whiz kids that's been kind of coding since you were like a teenager? Uh, yeah, pretty much. And, uh, I went to MIT and, uh, dropped out, uh, just a semester before graduation to, to do my, uh, to start working and get, get working on my first application. Okay. So you're, you kind of had the mindset coming out when you're in your late teens, early twenties that, Hey, if I really want to like do what I love and get to somewhere where I want to be financially, this is how I've got to do it. Kind of start this software business and get there at some point. Yeah, you know, I, my goal wasn't really to, to get rich or make millions. Well, who doesn't want to make millions? But I, <laughs> that wasn't my goal. You know, it wasn't, I got to make money any way I can. It was uh, just, I love, I love programming and I have all these ideas for, for games and, and for this and that. And if I could make money out of it, that'd be great. But at uh, age 21, 22, I wasn't thinking I got to support myself. Uh, in fact, I had a kind of a naive financial view back then about what it takes to, uh, you know, raise a family and get married and everything. So, uh, uh, so yeah, but, but my second attempt, yeah, I was more analytical and, and cost benefit and budgets and everything. Uh, but, uh, but I took a, a calculated risk that I thought would be worth it. So how come you didn't go and, and try to raise any type of VC money? Why did you end up self-funding this? Um, yeah, you know, I, uh, my, as my business started to grow, uh, you know, my second attempt was a successful one. I had VC contact me 
but they were looking for companies with explosive growth potential that, you know, um, they would invest, you know, 2 million and they wanted a return of 50 million within a year or two. Wow. And I thought if I had explosive growth potential, uh, you know, that, that sounds like they're just taking advantage of, of my success. Uh, if I didn't have money to finance my sales, uh, cause each sale cost about 50,000 in raw material in hardware. If I didn't have that, I, you know, I probably would have had to take it because I wouldn't have had cash otherwise, but I was leveraging each sale. So, so I get a $200,000 sale and, you know, 50 grand would go to pay off the, my credit card that paid for the hardware. And then I just keep the rest for the next sale and try to withdraw as little as possible from, you know, from my own use. Uh, so I was able to leverage up just because it was a big ticket item. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if sales were, weren't, weren't happening or sale price was, you know, per unit was a lot lower, I, I might not have the money. I would have had to go with BC. Wow. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about after you've had this exit, then you kind of decided to, to kind of go with these three buckets. You gave some to Fidelity. You chose some of your own. How come you kind of decided to, to invest the money that way? Why not maybe put some of it back into another startup or, or do something different with it? Well, um, yeah, uh, I really, like I said, my, my goal isn't to be super rich. It's to have enough so I don't have to work. And then, but then sometimes I'll think, well, it would be kind of nice to get an idea for a new startup. And then as soon as I get out on, on the beltway here, the traffic, I thought, do I want to do this every day? <laughs> so, uh, so my goal was really, you know, retirement and, and running a business and starting it up is, is a lot of hassle and long hours because you don't have enough employees. You can't afford the employee and until you're making more money, but you can't make more money until you have the employee. So you're always constantly overworked and I just didn't want to deal with that hassle. So the three bucket idea was just kind of an experiment because I, I was new to having money. And I didn't quite trust the, uh, you know, financial pros that maybe they may have an ulterior motive. Um, so that's why I kind of did the three ideas to see which way would, would be the best way in the future for me. And, and give us those three again. That was some of it invested on your own, some through Fidelity. And what was the third? Uh, some was stocks, which uh, was based on just, you know, whatever tips I could find, uh, you know, just the TV analysts. And then I go and research them a little bit. And then the third was mutual funds. Gotcha. Just again, based on consumer, you know, information, uh, these are the top mutual funds or discussions on financial boards. You know, these, I'm in these funds and I'd look at it and say, oh, that looks good. And uh, how I, long did you do that experiment for? And what were the results before you kind of said, all right, I'm pulling out of Fidelity. It's not going so well. How long yeah. did you do that for? Uh, three years. And I, I've been tracking, you know, every year because it could have just been a fluke. I mean, it's not it's not that easy to compare twenty stock a bucket of twenty stocks with forty mutual funds each with twenty stocks, right? Because you know, one, so I gave it a benefit of a doubt that it's there's a lot more than just straight, comp, you know, comparing the the two. But after three years, I figured, you know, they should have been showing a better performance by now. Uh, so my stocks were. Uh, we're actually outperforming um, the Dow Jones just because of the nature of a small bucket and higher, what do they call it, beta. Uh, and then mutual funds were performing as well as Fidelity's funds, but they also didn't have the 1% fee on top of their you know, 1% fee. 
So Fidelity was constantly trailing by one to two percent every year, I think because of those fees. Hmm. And uh, did you have any say in, in what Fidelity put it in or was it just here's a lump sum and you do what you want? Uh, I, I, they just asked for my goal. So basically, they have an 85-15 product that's, you know, they've focused on trying to keep it 85 stocks, 15 bonds, 15% bonds. Uh, I said, can you just do 100% stocks? Because I didn't tell them I was doing this thing on the side. Right. Uh, I, I felt my portfolio was hedged well enough with 40% in real estate already. Uh, but they said they don't do 100% stock. Um, so they did 85 to 15, which again, is kind of hard to compare to 100% stocks, but um, they should have, you know, they did not do those other mutual funds. And you know what? My, my scientific experiment may not have been very scientific. <laughs> uh, but, you know, after three years, I said, you know, I, I could just do this myself. I hated paying them, you know, however many tens of thousands a year it was almost 20 to, to really just stick me mutual funds. So yeah, I do it myself now. Right. And how did you pick Fidelity? Any, any backstory on that or just random? Uh, probably just, yeah, probably just random. Just, they had an, uh, an office near where I had my office. So I'd drive by every day and so I kind of liked that they had the center there. I could just walk in and talk to somebody if I needed to. Well, it's a pretty remarkable story. You know, you start a couple of businesses and then you get a big payout and you say, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm retiring. How old were you when you when you sold that second company? Uh, 39. So I'm 48 now. Uh, you know, the thing is, uh, I to, to run a company, to, to start another company, you really have to be uh, a really outgoing people person to network, to manage. And I'm a, I'm a computer guy that likes to just be left alone and code. So that, that was part of it. And I thought it may have been a little luck involved that I happened to find the right people who connected me with the other people who were looking to buy a company and maybe I wouldn't get that luck again. Uh, so, so yeah, it just seemed the best decision. And again, commuting and family issues, I'd rather just uh, be retired and have a decent, decent life, uh, you know, without any worry. And so do you do any work on the side now or, or just? Nope, just hobbies. Guitar. Uh, make, make guitars. I play chess competitively. Uh, yeah, do what I want, read. We travel a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah. So give us a little, a little breakdown, I guess, of your, of your net worth here. How much of it is in real estate? Uh, it'll be one in 1.6 million. Depends on what the, my house is worth. Um, and then the, the rest is in index uh, index funds, mostly Vanguard. Uh, QQQ is, uh, has been giving me good returns. That's, that's a little, not quite an index fund, but that's based off NASDAQ. And then I have a few mutual funds still from Fidelity. I've had to pace out the selling um, because of the capital gains. I want to stay in the right tax bracket. Uh, yeah, so yeah, about... What would that be? One forty percent real estate, sixty percent stocks, about five percent bonds, which is over a hundred percent. But <laughs> rounding, rounding, rounding. There we go. Yeah. So, as an as an early retiree, how do you kind of manage this portfolio? Are you taking a percentage out of it each year to kind of live on? Yeah. So, uh, this, there's a good site called earlyretirement.org, early-retirement.org for those who are 
thinking of early retirement and they talk about, uh, well, they have an investment section and safe withdrawal rates, the SWR, how much you can safely withdraw and keep your portfolio or keep it growing. <clears throat> so part of it, uh, I'd say uh, about one, one third of my income is from dividends, which goes straight into my bank account. And then I withdraw the rest. I have a budget of about 100000 a year. And uh, I just withdraw the rest and try to minimize capital gains. And uh, But yeah, supposedly 4% should last you 50 years, 40 years. Uh, so I try to withdraw about 3%. That's kind of my goal. And so far, my portfolio has grown despite withdrawing 100 grand a year. So um, there's some merit to it. But yeah, it's not just a hunch or anything. There's scientific uh, calculations behind it. Okay. You know, statistics, they have, uh, they run simulations, they're sp spreadsheets where you can run simulations of the market in the past, just to see how your strategy would have, uh, would have changed. <laughs> gotcha. You know, I think one thing that would be interesting for our, for our listeners with, with your situation, what have you kind of done with insurance and maybe life insurance and some of those other things that, you know, maybe early workers or early even retirees that might be in their twenties or thirties are shooting for what, what, what kind of things can they look for? What have you done to, to go about doing that? Maybe health insurance or life insurance or any of those kinds of things. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a life insurance policy just because we have a, we have a good amount, uh, in, you know, in, in the portfolio, uh, health insurance is a big, uh, is a big thing. Uh, since we do have to be on the individual marketplace. Uh, so the Obamacare thing is, uh, follow closely, uh, my insurance costs have gone up about 50% since I had my own uh, running my business. Um, so that's the thing. And then there's uh, homeowner's insurance. I paid cash for my house. Uh, so I'm paying insurance directly, which is about 3000 a year. And then auto insurance. And what other insurance do I have? Yeah, those, those are the main ones. Health okay. is the big one. Yeah. For sure, and you just buy that. You said on the private exchanges, and have just you've just dealt with the the increase in the cost. Yeah, yep. Just had to deal with it. I mean, what else can you do, huh? Yeah, because, well, I mean, I, I could uh, keep my, you know, just not withdraw, not realize my capital gains, and fall into the subsidy region. But, you know, then I, I'm not sure we want to live that that kind of lifestyle if yeah. we if we don't have to. Yeah, no, it's an, it's an interesting topic, I think, especially amongst, you know, some of the early retirees and the, you know, in the, the community that, you know, what do we do? How do we navigate this? Is it going to change next year? We get a new president. Does this change? And, oh, my goodness, the costs have gone up drastically. And how do I account for that and afford that? And how do I predict that in the future? You know, you've got yeah. a nice nest egg, so you've been able to do it. But what if somebody wants to retire on half of what you have kind of thing? Then what, you know? I think that's right. good, good for our, our, our listeners to kind of consider some of those that might want to be millionaire retiree early type people. Yeah. Well, so, you don't think about, you don't think about insurance when you're in your twenties or I, at least yeah. I did. <laughs> and live, you're not going to get, and you probably, and it's probably true. You're not, you're probably not going to get uh, cancer or, or a heart attack in your twenties. Uh, you know, the, the chances grow as you get older. So at my age, it's something to worry about. So I, if I was 20, I'd probably just get the bronze plan, the cheapest one. Mm -hmm. My age, uh, you know, we've got to do silver or gold, just, uh, just to, which are more expensive. Yeah. So, 
are you going to keep your portfolio allocated pretty similar to the way you have it now for, for the foreseeable future? Yeah, well, uh, I'm trying to get everything in index funds and then, and then start to move more into, uh, into bond funds uh, just for safety. Um, I'm, I'm not an investment whiz. You know, I didn't make my money through smart uh, financial investments. I, you know, I did it through uh, building a company and selling it. So I may be doing it wrong, but uh, I follow the boards and follow that website I mentioned earlier and, you know, podca podcasts on investment and try to do something sensible. So let me, let me, let me follow up on that, on that bonds comment. So I'm looking at your investments. Now you're probably about 1.2 million of the 3.6 is in total market and SAP index funds. Yeah. And so have you found those that, you know, those to be more effective than a actively managed mutual fund, or it seems like a, a big majority of what you have invested in the market is in index funds. Yeah, well, I've, I've read the articles that the most actively managed funds don't exceed, you know, don't beat the, the index. Sure. And, and, they, and they, all have, they all claim to have different uh, benchmarks, and they all claim that they beat their benchmarks. But, you know, looking year-to-date, uh, for example, for a Dow average versus year-to-date for most mutual funds, I, I don't think they really exceed it. Um, so yeah, so I'm happy with, uh, with these low cost index funds, right? Fidelity ones. And what have I'm, your returns been on that? Um, well, year to date, they've, well, those index funds have just matched the, uh, the index, the, the VT Sachs, the total market was, I think 14% year to date and, uh, V, VTI, yeah, total stock markets are all right around 14% gotcha. compared to uh, I think the broad market is somewhere around there. NASDAQ has been up 22% year to date. And the only one that's gotten that close is my QQQ, which is about 30 or 15% of my holdings. So yeah, just that's all I can hope for. I don't try to beat the market and I understand that doesn't work. Yep. And what other real estate do you have besides your primary home? Uh, then I have a, a town home that I'm currently, uh, just fixing up to sell, but, uh, you know, I don't want to get into the landlord business, but, uh, that's my old town home that I'm going to sell. So, so you kept that, that when you bought your, your primary home or did you buy that as a project or what's the backstory on that? No, I, I kept that and my brother actually lived in it. Uh, and, and then he, he moved out a couple years ago and I just haven't gotten around to, to really fixing it up because it's, you know, it's very low cost and, uh, but yeah, that's that's the other one I have. I'm gonna to try to get rid of that by next year. Gotcha. And any reason why you're not more in the real estate? Uh, just you know, I'm a computer guy. I don't really know real estate, and uh, I think it's a pretty crowded market anyway. You know, like flipping homes, everybody was was doing that for a while. So these bargains, just uh, you know, I've, I've looked at the, I've looked into getting into it, but I just didn't see any bargains. Everything is. Uh, is so competitive, at least from my point of view. But again, I'm not a, an expert on real estate, so I don't know. So what advice, Chris, do you give to somebody who's, you know, 25, 30, 35 and, and building their net worth and moving along, but still has some, some ways to go? Uh, well, well, the biggest thing that, that helped me was keeping a good credit rating. 
and paying all the bills on time. I was I was deep in credit card debt just from uh, the first fail business, but I always paid on time, the minimum amount, which didn't help much. But you know my credit rating kept getting higher. So when I started my second business, and I was having to use my personal credit, I got it a lot easier. I got a I got a big credit card, a business card amount that, that helped me finance my first sale. So yeah, that's that's been what's helped me the best. And then secondly, is more if you're into thinking about create uh, starting a business, you need to separate the idea of this is my money in the business from no, this is the business's money because if if you think of it as this is my personal money in the business, you're never going to pay for the costs that a business incurs. You know, because some of them are expensive. You know, ten ten thousand dollars to set up a booth at a trade show. So, you know, personally, I would never pay that 10 grand for a little table in the back <laughs> of a room, you know, but from a business point of view, it made sense because in my industry, it, that's where everybody met each other. That's where everybody networked. So I just saw it as a number, you know, in my business account, uh, check my cash flow that I'd have enough based on my accounts receivable, you know, I just went through it coldly without thinking of it as my money. And that, and that really helped my business, you know, networking and other companies finding me. So it, it was worth, it was worth it, but I never would have done it if I thought of it as my money. I probably wouldn't have succeeded. That's super interesting. I think that's a great point. What, what mistakes would you say you've made or what would you, do you wish you could have changed? You know, whether that's with starting the company or your allocation or now or, you know, anything. Yeah. Um, well, I, I learned a lot from my first business. I learned that advertising isn't as effective as, as you think, uh, the ads are expensive. Well, those were magazine ads, you know, they're a thousand dollars an issue for a little ad and you'd have to buy three to six. And I, you know, you find out that you didn't get any sales from it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so the, so, so I spent a lot on advertising. My first business also had an office. I got a separate office when I didn't need it cause I expected sales to come pouring in and they didn't. So I wasted all the money on the rent. Um, so yeah, learn as much as you can about, um, you know, on, entrepreneur books. I didn't read a lot of entrepreneur books, but I kind of wish I had to, to tell me these things ahead of time. So I didn't, um, you know, learn for myself. Uh, yeah, that'd, that'd be my biggest, uh, thing I do over is, is read more before I started. Chris, how, how often did you check your credit rating when you were starting these businesses when you were younger? Well, in the, in the nineties, you really couldn't, you had to mail in for it or, or call them. There wasn't a website. So I would, uh, I w- it would be checked every time I applied for credit. So I did before my second business. I, I checked, well, I knew my credit was good because I kept getting card increases and, um, <laughs> it's an easy way to figure it out. Right. And the offers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know what my exact numerical score was, but it was high enough then. So that when I said, can I get a credit card for the business? They, they just put 50,000 on it without even asking. So, wow. And that's without a job, you know, yeah. it, was, it was in my own business. Interesting. And then how often do you, do you check on your portfolio and your investments now? Um, maybe, uh, every other week or if there's a, there's a big change in the market, I'll, I'll check to see how badly I was hit or not hit or made, but yes, yeah, it's, it's just an easy, 
to sign in and check the balance. So yeah, every other week or, or so. Okay. So Chris, you're retired. You've done super well. You're a multimillionaire. You're living the dream retired. Where do you go from here? Uh, well, that's a ex existential question, right? <laughs> you know, re retirement, I, I don't know. I haven't been bored of anything. I, I thought that might be one problem is you get bored, uh -huh. but I've kept busy with hobbies, uh, with learning more about just whatever topic interests me, uh, of an electronics hobby, um, building little projects like that. So I, I, so far I'm busy. I don't know, 10, 20 years, maybe I'll look to, uh, open a restaurant or something just to get out in the world more. Um, so yeah, I'll just take it as it comes, but uh, I'm enjoying everything right now. Any, any hobby that you've picked up since retirement that you maybe didn't have before? Uh, yeah, guitar building. I, I didn't know a thing. I, I played, uh, well, actually bass guitar and I just thought oh, that might be kind of neat. And yeah, it has been. So that's cool. It's fun. Yeah. Any last words for, or for our listeners? Um, you, you know, don't, uh, don't discount. And this is more for a uh, soft people get, trying to get into software technology. Uh, consumer products aren't the only way to make money. You know, everybody tries to come up with a product idea. Well, it doesn't even have to be software tech. Just, you know, what do people need? What solves people's problems? And at the consumer products. So con the consumer market's really broad, so you think you can make a lot of money, but it's also filled with all kinds of competition. There's a, there's a huge world of business to business and business to government uh, companies. You know, think defense contractors and, uh, you know, all kinds of contractors for local government. There's a lot of money in that or there can be a lot of money in that. And I don't see people talking about it that much in the uh, entrepreneur forums. They're all thinking consumer, but that, you know, that's where I made my money business to business. Uh, just a lot of money in it. Don't discount it. Awesome. Well, appreciate your time, Chris. Thanks for coming on the show. Sure. Thank you, Chris. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening to the millionaires unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.